Hello and welcome all of my artists, writers, performers, filmmakers, and creatives of all kinds. This is Raven's Fine Art. I am Raven. And we are going on to our next person of study. We are going to be studying Pablo Picasso, and we are going to be going through the book called Picasso and the Art of Drawing by Christopher Lloyd. So we're going to be talking about Picasso's origins, his beginnings. So think about your origin story as an artist as we talk about Picasso. Stay tuned. All right, so let's get into it today. So Pablo Picasso. So this is going to be a 10 part series because the book is divided into 10 chapters, which is very convenient for me. Um, and it's also very logically broken down. Um, so in the beginning, we're just going to be talking about uh, Picasso. And my series um, is not so much about the details of the artists' lives. It's really what we can glean from their lives in terms of our own artistic success. So when I went over Leonardo da Vinci in my last series, that was the goal. The goal of that series was to glean his seven principles of genius and apply it to our own lives. And in the case of Pablo Picasso, it's very similar. The goal is to learn from his example, to study and look at what his activities were, how his approach was to his art career, what his background was, and how he used his gifts and his talents. Um, the reason why I chose him is for a few reasons. One is that he meets the criteria of being a successful artist, both commercially and critically. Um, he rose from poverty to wealth. So his, his family of origin, they weren't exactly poor, but they were definitely more paycheck to paycheck type of a family like most people. Um, and certainly in his early career as an artist, he was living hand to mouth in squalid conditions. And he went from that to, be, uh, to become one of the wealthiest artists in artistic history. I chose him also because of his uh, innovation, his impact and his versatility. Um, so there was no one like Picasso um, and there hasn't been anyone exactly like him since. And that is also the case for all artists. If you listen to this podcast, you know that that's what I believe, that we're all just as unique. Um, but Pablo Picasso knew that. He had a confidence in that. He wasn't trying to duplicate anybody else. He was really striving to be uh, the best version of himself as he could be. And he knew he wanted to make an impact on the art um, industry. He knew that he came here to make an impact and that's what he did. So it's worth studying um, his attitude and his activities for that reason. Um, Picasso was also very prolific. He, looking at the number of drawings and paintings that he had, he certainly, you can safely say, that he drew something every single day over the course of his entire career. Now that is an extraordinary thing to be able to say. Um, there are extraordinarily large number of drawings that, that have been recovered and also ones that he sold and they're very famous. 
Um, also, his time in history is another reason why I chose him. He was kind of born right at this cusp of the modern age. So going from the 19th to the 20th centuries, you know, coming off of uh, Impressionism, which is was the you know late 1800s and on into the early uh, 1900s, the 20th century, there was a lot of change and flux and shift in people's attitudes towards art and also just in technology and how people were living their lives. So our time period has a lot to do with uh, what we do with our lives and our careers. You can't just extrapolate somebody out of history. People are born into a context and they work in a certain context. So the fact of when he was born and when he was developing his career is very significant. Um, and another reason on that note, uh, why he um, is my chosen topic is that he, um, and I didn't know this, but he had so many drawings. He's mostly known for his, you know, cubist paintings, but he had a number of drawings and he was starting his career and flourishing in a time where drawings were beginning to be seen, not just as preparatory work for paintings and finished works, but they were starting to be uh, exhibited and bought and sold on their own. Uh, so it was really cool to look at that. And also his, um, his artistic muses and mentors, um, not directly, but people that he admired were Cezanne, Toulouse-Lautrec and Van Gogh, who were of the Impressionist age. So he was coming after um, their uh, taking on of the artistic scene and the impact that they had. So he was coming after them. So it's interesting to see how he uh, imitated them in some ways, especially I think Cezanne and Van Gogh, uh, but he didn't want to just be a copy of an Impressionist. So he took what they did and he took it a step further. So that's certainly instructional for us as artists of all kinds. So I wanted to start with a quote that I found on page nine. Uh, let me pull that up. All right, so it was Picasso's skill at devising new combinations of media and supports that was one of the hallmarks of his iconoclasm. He could make paint look as thin as watercolor and he could apply it with the point of the brush so that it resembles drawn or engraved lines. He could blend paint, pastel, and gouache together in ways that endowed these media with a visual impact never previously imagined. He experimented with newly developed industrial paints. He occasionally incorporated sand and sawdust into his compositions. He often deliberately excised or rubbed out lines while reinforcing others. He incised into surfaces and ran combs or other such implements across completed areas in order to obtain different effects. He applied charcoal, chalk, or crayon directly onto canvas. And later in life, he sometimes abandoned pencil and chalk in favor of color crayons, wax crayons, bureau, ballpoint, and felt tip pens. Technically, however, the most audacious advance in his drawing was the one he made with Brock while developing cubism, namely the devising of papier collé, meaning pasted papers, 
Combining cutout strips of various types of printed paper or sections of carefully selected newsprint to which an armature of drawn lines in charcoal would be added in order to complete the composition. The papier collé date from 1912 onwards and the introduction of extraneous materials added a whole new dimension to drawing, further exemplifying how cubism altered traditional modes of representation. So this is why we're studying Picasso. He was an innovator and he wasn't afraid. And that's something that we'll see repeated as a theme in his life. He, well, it's hard to say anyone is fearless. I'm sure he had fears, but it's really not apparent <laughs> that he had any fears at all. He was a pretty fearless man and a pretty fearless artist. Um, and so the beauty of his drawings, I think, is, is that he, he really viewed them equal to his painting. Uh, from the moment Picasso, this is on page 13, from the moment Picasso decided to become an artist, he drew impulsively and compulsively. Indeed, as a general rule, he seems to have made drawings of one sort or another almost every day of his working life. Miraculously, this practice increased as he grew older and began to feel that the sheer physical effort of painting and sculpting was too tiring. So this is really an important point. So not only was he born at a time period and worked in a time period where drawing was shifting in importance to becoming you know, on equal par to painting, but he was a practical person. I mean, as he got older, I mean, doing his large, you know, paintings um, is very laborious and very time consuming. Um, so when you're thinking about yourself as an artist, regardless of your art form, but certainly if you're a visual artist, don't neglect your drawing. Not only is drawing the foundation of all the other visual arts like painting and sculpture, um, but even if you're doing another kind of art, drawing is such a way to get into that right brain um, and to get your creativity out in front of you, not just in your head, because as artists, we've always got things in our heads, but to get it out on paper uh, is not only practical, but it's really feeding your artistic soul. So the beauty of painting is that, or drawing rather, is that it's cheap. <laughs> so even if right now you are in the starving artist category, which we, I am determined to move you out of that category and myself as well, we are not going to be starving artists. But if you are in that situation right now, there is no excuse. You may not be able to afford, afford the finest oil paints out there and the biggest and the finest linen canvases. You may not be able to afford as a sculptor, ceramicist, your own studio, or as a dancer, you may not have the, you know, the finest coaches, um, but you can draw. And if you do some other kind of an art, uh, there's a way to do your art cheaply. So you got to look at what's most important is that you're doing it every day. So Picasso did not just rest on his laurels. He did this his entire career. So think about that. If Pablo Picasso was drawing every day, what is our excuse? All right, so what I also liked about Picasso is that Picasso did not leave things to chance. Um, so many times it seems that, and most artists won't say it out loud, but their activities suggest that they are hoping 
they're just gonna be so amazing, so grand, so awesome, that somebody is just going to show up on their doorstep, throw money at them, and make them a famous artist. So what I love about Picasso is that as good as he was, he did not leave things to chance. So I'm reading on page 13. Picasso always remained cautious about what he released for exhibition or for sale through dealers. And then further on um, on that page, it says once he had begun to gain a reputation and his drawings to be much sought after, he began to sign, date, and inscribe his works on paper meticulously. Okay, so what that shows us is that he was aware, not just of his physical production of art, but he was thinking strategically about his career. Um, and we'll see later that he his associations also mirrored that. He was not just associating with anybody. He was associating with people that were on his level of artistic ambition. Um, and that's very important as well. So he was, a, he was very conscious of posterity. So he wrote on that same page, on page 13, one's work is a way of keeping a diary, was how he described the habit to the editor, Tyriad. So his habit of signing his works, his drawings, and he became um, a little bit famous before he became super famous. So as his popularity grew, he was aware of what he was doing. So he was consciously trying to leave something for posterity. So you gotta think about that. Don't just be in the moment. Think strategically and, and smart about your career. Don't just think things are just gonna happen by chance. It's not going to happen. All right, so let's talk about Pablo Picasso's beginnings. So another myth that I want to stomp into the ground to be obliterated forever is that people are just born artists. That is just not true. Nobody is born painting. You're born naked, screaming, slimy, and you have no idea what's going on, okay? So nobody is born an artist. People have proclivities, um, but we don't just have more than one. So think about nature. As humans, you know, we are we have to interact with our environment. So it would not we would not survive have survived this long if there's only one thing that we could do. Now we're going to all have different proclivities, which allows us to work together as a society. So if Pablo Picasso, if painting didn't exist, Pablo Picasso would have been a creative of some kind. Okay. Um, but he was not born an artist. He was born in a family <laughs> where his father taught art, okay? So his father was an art teacher and he was a so-so artist, okay? But he was an art teacher and so he didn't just leave it up to chance. As soon as Picasso showed even the remotest interest in art, he had a pencil and a paintbrush in his hands, okay? <laughs> so this is our influence as parents is that we shape how our kids turn out. Now you don't want to impose, you know, your vision on your kids. I think that's abusive. Uh, but once you see that your child has an interest in something and you're blessed with the fact that it's something that you're also passionate about, of course you nurture it. And because his father was probably a frustrated artist, I mean, this was a dream come true. He had his son, his namesake, okay? Well, was actually he turned out not to take his name, but We'll talk about that later. Um, but he had his son who was interested in art. So 
Picasso was, was drawing and painting, you know, from a tiny age. And he also had the proclivity, so it's both. So he definitely had, you know, the gifting and the bent towards art. But he got his 10,000 hours in, and if you're not familiar with that, the, um, what's his name, Malcolm Gladwell, I think his name is, um, talks about the 10,000 hours to become great at anything. And that's thrown around as, you know, and I don't believe in that either. I, you become great whenever you become great. You know, 1,000, 10,000, 80,000, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you got to put in the work. And so he put in the work starting from, you know, as a toddler. So think about that. You, you've got your all that practicing and, and not only just random practice, we all drew as kids, but he was under the tutelage of a professional artist. So, I mean, he had an advantage, okay? So of course, you know, people become mythologized. There's all these myths about him being a prodigy and all these kinds of things, which there's really scanty evidence for some of this stuff. Um, but uh, it does, there is an indication that he had the gifting. So on page 20, um, it's talking about his, uh, draw, his young drawings as a child. And it says, um, you know, Picasso had to put into mastering the traditional methods of drawing in accordance with the development and refinement of his innate skills. And second, uh, they, his drawings demonstrate the speed with which he progressed as an artist in his bid for independence, okay? For the defining characteristics of Picasso's drawings, even at the outset, are their variety and intensity, just as the principal feature of his art overall is its versatility. So I want to come back to that issue of his bid for independence. Now think about this. Now, we all go through a period where we need to. It's a, an important developmental milestone to rebel against your parents. So think about that. Your dad's an art teacher, okay? He spends his day telling people what to do. And as a parent, you, tell your, you spend your time telling your children what to do. So imagine how tired of this you would be <laughs> if you're grown up. Not only, like, you already have a love for art, but you've got your dad hovering over you, dictating what you do. You've got the blessing of his instruction and the fact that, you know, his, his father was an actual, you know, instructor and he, he was an instructor at one of the best um, colleges in Barcelona. Um, but it's still your dad. So he's going to want to develop an independence from his father. And I think that's really important because he was working for something different than a lot of us are doing. You know, if you didn't come from an artistic uh, family or if your art wasn't really nurtured, you didn't have that kind of friction. Um, so maybe you were pushed into a different field like I was and how a lot of people were, not pushed, but you just feel like no one's really supporting what you wanna do anyway or you don't think it's possible, so you drift into something else. But here, he's doing what he wants to do, but he <laughs> has the weight of his father's pressure over him so he wanted to be independent. So think about the added incentive he had to be innovative. So that, that's really important to note. And on that same note is the importance of environment. So not only did he have his dad as an art teacher, but he was around artists. So his dad was teaching at one of the best schools in Barcelona. So they had, the family had moved um, so that his dad could take this job. Um, at a college in Barcelona 
Um, so in Barcelona, so Barcelona, this is on page 27, the capital of Catalonia in Spain and fiercely independent from the rest of Spain was a thriving city with an important port when Picasso lived there with his family. So he was in like a hub, like a New York or an LA or a Paris, which we'll get to that later. <laughs> but where you are is very important. So he was in a place that fostered and nurtured creativity. And around this time where he was becoming a young man, this is still on page 27, for Picasso, the greatest advantage was the opening in 1897 of Els Quatre which became the meeting place for avant-garde writers and artists. Built in a mock medieval style, not unlike a German beer hall, Els Quatre was a cafe bar where from 1899, Picasso began to mix with boulevardiers, singers, performers, poets, playwrights, philosophers, and musicians, many of whom became his friends. So he ran with other artists. So think about that. If you had the advantage of not only growing up under an art teacher, you were also living in an artistic hub and um, an art hub was built where artists of all kinds came and hung out and you were young <laughs> at that time, hanging out in the bar with these creative people. Think about what was going into the soup of his artistic brain at that time. So when we look at famous artists, you've got to think about the context. So a lot of times artists make the mistake of comparing themselves to people, but not looking at the full picture. You're, all you're looking at is the end result. Like, oh my God, look at that person's art. I could never, da, 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 da but you don't know the history. You don't understand how they were nurtured. You don't know how long they've been at it. You don't understand <clears throat> that we all start at different starting points and you cannot judge yourself based on somebody else's starting point. You've got to look at the whole picture <clears throat> before you judge and compare yourself to another artist. So um, talking about the takeaways from this opening chapter. So I'm gonna wrap it up with the takeaways that we're getting from Picasso's origin story and why he was chosen as this next topic of discussion. So number one, although he was known for his cubist paintings, Picasso was actually a prolific drafts person. And we're gonna talk more about his drawings more specifically later on, but he was not only a painter, he drew extremely well um, and he was prolific. Uh, number two, he studied from his inspirations, but he strove to go beyond them. So yes, he studied the Impressionists, but he was not content to be just another Impressionist. He was not copying anybody. He was inspired by them. Uh, number three, he was strategic about his friendships and his career. So he was not an artist who sat around in his studio waiting to be discovered, thinking that his talent was going to you know, pave the way for him. He made strategic friendships with other artists. Um, he was very careful, cautious, and strategic about his career. He was careful about where his paintings and his drawings were hung. Um, he did not leave anything to chance. 
Number four, Picasso was technically skilled and innovative. So a lot of times people, you know, especially realist painters of today rag on Picasso. Oh, I don't like Picasso. You know, they, they look at his later works and think, yeah, you know, because it's not as realistic. But Picasso, his early works show that he was classically trained, okay? His dad was an art teacher. He studied art in a regular art school, just like everybody else. So he learned all the traditional stuff and there are paintings and drawings that show his traditional works. Um, so he, he knew how to draw, okay? <laughs> he knew how to paint, but he, and think about it. You've been doing this since you were a child. You've been doing like professional level art since you were, you know, in grade school. So you're gonna get bored. You're gonna go beyond that, <laughs> especially because he was trying to make his own footprint in the art world. So yes, he was technically skilled, but he wasn't content to just be that. Number five, he worked hard and he started young. So again, when you're comparing yourself to other artists, think about when did you really get serious about art? Don't compare yourself to somebody who grew up in an artistic home and, and you know, and was encouraged and nurtured to be an artist. Some of us, you know, were not encouraged to be artists. In fact, you know, our environments, you know, from in my case, told me that, you know, you got to focus on intellectual pursuits. You got to go to college. You got to get a degree. You got to do this, that, and the other. So if that wasn't nurtured, then you're not going to have taken it seriously at a young age, probably. It's very hard, you know, as a young person to go against your society, especially if you weren't taught to sort of be um, like combative and confrontational. If you were taught to sort of go along and get along, it's not going to be necessarily in your nature to like, yeah, everybody's saying that, you know, I should go to college, but I'm not going to do that. Like it takes a very strong character to go against the grain. So Picasso wasn't going against the grain, not as a young age. I mean, going with the grain was becoming an artist for him. So when you're comparing yourself to somebody, if you're going to do that at all, like I don't recommend you do compare yourself, but if you are going to compare yourself to somebody, make sure you're comparing apples to apples. Okay. Um, so being in the right environment, number six, is very important. So that's a takeaway. So he was in Barcelona, Spain. Okay, Barcelona, Spain was an art hub. He hung out at art, you know, places, places where artists went. He wasn't hanging around, you know, with dentists or accountants. He was with other artists. So put yourself in the right environment. And lastly, he had the right spirit. Pablo Picasso was an artist. And not just because he drew and he painted, his mindset was that of an artist. He was going above and beyond what he saw was being done. He was confrontational. He wasn't afraid to be himself. And he grew into that, obviously. He had a head start, as we already talked about. But he became somebody that he lived life on his own terms. And we're going to get into that as we study his life. But that is what you got to be as an artist. You can't think that you, well, there's two kinds of artists. There's the artists that I put in air quotes who knows how to paint, draw, or do some sort of artistic pursuit. You know how to write, you know how to dance, you know, you know how to create things and that's it. But to me, an, an, an artist in capital A artist is somebody who has an art spirit. So there's somebody that looks at the society and says, yeah, that's what everybody's doing, but this is what I'm doing. Somebody that can analyze and look at society and take a critical eye to it and not just swallow everything that's being done, but who really chooses to live life on their own terms, who truly sees life from a different lens. 
because once you can see life from a different lens, then you've got something to offer. Your art is going to be coming from your own unique perspective. You're not just going to be walking lockstep with the rest of society, because if you are, I mean, why are you necessary? You might as well just be an accountant and just you know, stay under the radar and, and do that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not art. Art is, art is something else. Art is similar to being a prophet. You're, you're looking at life, you're looking at society, you love on it, you embrace it, you have compassion for your environment, but you see beyond and above it. You see into it, you dissect it, and then you can present it in a way that's beautiful and digestible and that communicates something deep within your soul that you wanna communicate. All right, so that is Picasso, Pablo Picasso, going through the book Picasso and the Art of Drawing by Christopher Lloyd. So next we will be doing uh, the first chapter. That was the introduction, or that was the first chapter. Uh, we're going to be going into the next stage of Pablo Picasso's life and seeing what we can learn from this master. So that is it for this week. I hope you have a wonderful and productive week. Bye-bye.